Well, we're going to jump right in this morning and um, got a lot to cover here. And uh, this morning we're going to talk about a man that walked into the light twice. And uh, a very powerful and uh, interesting story from Scripture. But um, well, let me uh, start. A friend of mine sent me this, well, it was on a, a messenger text. I think she pulled it off Facebook or something. It was a preacher who said around Christmas time, uh, to save time this year, I made a biblically correct list of every mention in the song, Mary, Did You Know? You know, if you've heard that song, Mary, Did You Know Your Baby Boy Would Walk on Water? Mary, Did You Know Your Baby Boy Would Save Our Sons and Daughters? So all those questions all through the song. He says, to save time, I made a list. Um, and uh, wrote it down in order, and here are the answers. No, yes, 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 no, 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 yes, no, 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 yes, yes, no, no. <laughs> so he got through the uh, lesson real fast. And I thought, you know, some of us preachers and former preachers and teachers could uh, use a lesson uh, from that. And then I thought about it and made me remember a passage of Scripture where and Paul does that very thing. Yes, no, yes, no, back and forth. And he finally says, uh, let's see, where did I write it down? Right on my Second Corinthians 1, 20 through 22. He talks about God's promises. And I looked it up and uh, Google's always right. So it said there were 7,487 promises of God in the scriptures. I thought, well, that'd be an awesome study, the promises of God. Uh, you could you could do that, and uh, you know you could uh, take twenty a week, and <laughs> sometime in November, December, you might get might get through it. So, so Paul writes, no matter how many promises God has made, I don't know who calculated it, seven thousand four hundred eighty-seven. They are all yes in Christ. I just I love that. You know, just summarize all of God's promises. They are all yes in Christ. And so through him <clears throat> we speak the amen to the glory of God. We say amen to the promises of God. And what does amen mean? Let it be. Let it be. It so be it. Uh, it is so truly amen is the word for truly 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 in the king james uh yes it means yes so god's promises to us are yes our response back with amen is yes to god and uh what a wonderful verse and he goes on now it is god who made both us and you stand firm in christ he appointed us set his seal of ownership on us saying you are mine and he put his spirit in our heart as a deposit, guaranteeing. Hear that word, guaranteeing? Guaranteeing what is to come. So all of God's promises are yes. Do we have the hope of heaven? Yes. Yes, we have a hope of a resurrection day. Yes, we have a hope of seeing God face to face like we've been talking about. Do we have the hope of seeing God in glory? Do we have the hope of uh, hearing God say, well done, good and faithful servant? Do we have the hope of saying, hearing... Uh, Entering into the joy of the Lord. Uh, you take all God's promises 
and they're all yes. That's kind of a repeat of the saying, uh, none of Hashem's words return to him unfulfilled. Yep, yep. Yep, they're all, and God cannot lie, and uh, he keeps his promises. Uh, God cares about you. God grieves in his heart when you hurt. God loves you unconditionally. God will never leave you or forsake you. He always he says to us, do not be afraid. We've seen that numerous times in Scripture. Uh, God will deliver us from every evil trial. God will bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. God will crown us with honor and glory. And you could just go on and on and on. All of God's promises are are yes okay and you know we have doubts uh it's a normal thing i guess for human beings uh to doubt but we really need to believe and that's what uh the scripture is about faith comes by hearing the word of god and what's the definition of faith the substance according to hebrew book of hebrews <laughs> yeah, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so our, our study has been seeing the unseen. And last week I concluded by saying, we should have a prayer first. I'm sorry. <laughs> Father, thank you for this uh, Lord's Day, this new day to come before you and open the Word and read your promises. And we just say amen to all of your, your the blessedness you poured upon us. Help us to see the unseen, to, to open our eyes to see the hidden truths that are all around us and to, and to praise you and give you the glory and to stand in awe of your majesty and bless us as we spend this time together in the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week I concluded by saying uh, if we're not careful, we can allow our eyes to grow dim to the majesty of God especially for those who have known him for quite some time. Familiar, familiarity might not necessarily breed contempt, but it may breed complacency. And, you know, for us who've gone, many of us have gone to church all our lives or for years and years, uh, singing the same song, hearing the same prayers, uh, going through the same scriptures that we've studied numerous times, um, hung, for, hungering for, how's the song go? Uh, those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. We just delight in the Word, uh, but we can easily grow complacent. Um, to truly worship God, we, have, we must have an accurate understanding of, of who He really is. He is the one who, Scripture says, reigns eternally, is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt, Psalm 93, verse 1. He is not a distant, absent-minded grandfather who has no idea what's going on in our lives. He is the one with the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and on earth is his, according to 1 Chronicles 29, 11. Yours is the kingdom, the scripture says. Oh, Lord, you are exalted as head above all. Jesus is the king. And last week we looked in a, a passage in 1 Timothy 6. Remember that? The only immortal God, the king of kings and Lord of lords, who dwells in unapproachable light, seeing the majesty of God in that one little verse. Uh, 
All, all earth will one day bow before him. It is he to whom we must say, how great is our God, who is like the Lord. And even the angels covered their face uh, to hide the glory of God uh, from, their, from their view. So uh, full of glory and splendor was the Lord. Um, Blessed are the pure in heart, Scripture says, for they will what? They shall see God. Okay, we talked about seeing the face uh, of, of God. Like Moses was hid in the cleft of the rock, you cannot see my face and live. But blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We will be able to see the human nature of Jesus. Uh, it's not clear exactly how that will be, but we will be able to see him fully face to face we shall see uh, face to face first corinthians thirteen twelve, and we shall see him as he is john 3 verse 2 you know that familiar passage uh beloved it does not appear yet what we shall be but we know this that when he appears we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is this promise of seeing god uh, face to face and uh, the most remarkable description of the open and close fellowship with God that we shall experience is seen in the fact that in the heavenly city, the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall worship him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their, their foreheads. What a blessed promise that is. When we realize that God is the perfection of all that we long for, all that we desire, all that we hope for, our efforts to get back to Eden, um, that he is the summation of everything beautiful and desirable that we recognize. Um, then we recognize the greatest joy of life to, that will come and um, we shall see in seeing his face. Uh, this seeing God face to face has been called uh, the beatific uh, vision, meaning a vision that is most blessed. Uh, comes from the Latin word uh, beatus, uh, meaning blessed. And uh, how many times did the Lord say, blessed are you, and enter into the joy of the Lord. Um, to look at God changes people and makes us like him. We shall see him as he is. We shall be like him as he is. Uh, the vision of God will be the consummation of our knowing God and will give us full delight and joy for all eternity. For as the Psalms uh, record, in your presence there is fullness of joy and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Uh, you know, there's so many wonderful truths in Scripture and Sharon says, I, I need to keep saying what our goal in this class is because I stray all over the place. But um, from the beginning, my desire in this class was for us to just have a deeper faith in, what, in, in the promises of God. So that when we say amen, we mean it. It's yes, God. And um, that faith will strengthen us and, and it will uh, fortify us and it will give us courage. Um, should we be afraid of death? We looked at a passage in Hebrews uh, last week where, where we read that Jesus had to be made in a human form. He had to take on 
not the, not the form of angels, but the seed of Abraham, so that he would taste death, and that in doing so, he would destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and free us who all our lives were held in bondage by the fear of death. Are we held in bondage by the fear of death? Should we be afraid of death? We try to avoid it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, was it, uh, Jeff? <laughs> you just reminded me of uh, one of our previous preachers. Uh, I had to meet down the hallway here with a donut in his hand. Somebody said, you're going to die from that. Jesus, donut. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Woody Allen says, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> I guess it's a natural thing to be afraid of death. And, you know, you even see Jesus in the garden. Um, I'm not so sure if he was afraid of death because in uh, John 17, that what we call the priestly prayer of Jesus, long prayer. He says, Father, restore the glory that I had with you from the beginning of time. And so, uh, and Hebrews says, the book of Hebrews, I like to, can't remember the book, chapter, and verse. I can remember the book. Um, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. What was the joy set before him? It wasn't the cross. What was it? Yeah, it was to destroy the power of death, to be brought again into the presence of the Lord, uh, to have it, the glory of God uh, restored to him as it had been from the beginning. And most of all, or maybe not included in that list, is the gift of salvation to all mankind. Fred? Well, I don't think he was afraid of death. He dreaded the suffering that he knew that was coming. Yeah. I think all of us uh, would dread an unpleasant death. We may not be necessarily afraid to die. Like I say, we don't necessarily just don't want to be there when it happens, right? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, not, yeah. None of us want to have a suffering death. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about suffering uh, today. Erica. I think if you're suffering, you're ready to go up and be with God. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that this earthly realm and the heavenly realm and the pain and suffering and uh, the good and evil that's part of the earthly realm in which we live and the suffering and the hardships and the evil side of it makes us long for heaven. What about the good side? Well, the good side makes us kind of want to hang on to things. But if you've lost some loved one in your life, someone you were deeply close to, and you wonder about them, that too draws you into the heavenly realm, I think. So both joy and pain uh, are a, a, a magnet, a beacon to uh, heavenly glory. So this morning... Uh, I thought we would take a minute to look at the story. Uh, Eddie mentioned this last Wednesday, or two Wednesdays ago, about a man who walked into the light and saw the glory of Jesus Christ. And in these stories that we've been looking at where the 
where the door is open. You know, Revelation 4.1, I saw a door open in heaven and I heard a voice saying, come up hither and I will show you what must come to pass. Where the curtain is drawn back, where the door is open, what always, what, what do you always see or not see? What? Light, yeah, light, the glory of God. And I shared that illustration last week of walking into a room out of total darkness into a room that was brilliant light, and it was just blinding. I could not even see in the light. You know, I had to grope my way through the room. Uh, my father was walking ahead of me, and I just had to reach out and <laughs> touch him so that I could know where I was going. It was in, and uh, Paul says that God lives in unapproachable light, which no man has seen or can see. So we want to focus today on this man who walked into the light. His name was Saul of Tarsus. Okay, and in numerous scriptures, Paul gives us a glimpse of his life. Uh, he has there's nu numerous uh, autobiographical uh, hints that Paul gives us of the life that he that he lived. You know, in Acts nine, Acts. Uh, 22, there's at least three times in the book of Acts, he tells us of his story, his, his story of his uh, journey on the road to Damascus. Uh, he gives us biographical, a lot of biographical information in, mm -hmm. uh, in the Corinthian letters, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Romans, uh, Philippians, uh, his letters to Timothy. He's telling us about himself. And uh, here's what we learned. I just made a quick list. Paul was probably born into a well-to-do family. Uh, uh, he was probably born into a life of privilege. Uh, he enjoyed not only his Jewish pedigree and citizenship, but he was also a Roman citizen. Uh, and in Acts 22, verse 8, uh, he's talking with a Roman soldier, and that soldier is about to beat Paul until he finds out he's a Roman, and that's... Uh, against the law, and uh, the Roman soldiers says, "Well, how did you come to be a Roman citizen? I had to. I bought my citizenship, and it cost me a lot of money." Paul says, "I was freeborn. I was born a Roman." Okay, so uh, somewhere in maybe with his parents or someone in his uh, family had bought their Roman citizenship and uh, enjoyed it and all the privileges that went with it. That's why, you know, tradition uh, says Peter was crucified up upside down. They didn't do that to Paul. Uh, tradition says he was beheaded in Rome because you'd, you don't crucify a Roman citizen. Okay. Paul was well educated. Acts 22, verse 3, studied under one of the leading Jewish teachers of his day, Gamaliel. Uh, he was raised to know the strict laws of Israel and all their heritage and history, and he loved it. His ability to read and write with rhetorical sophistication shows his knowledge of the world. He understood um, religion, philosophy, the literature of his day. He talks about the life of a soldier. He uh, quotes one of the Greek poets in Acts 17, verse 28, and he wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. This man was well-educated. He spoke Aramaic, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, and probably Southern Texas English. <laughs> he, 
because of his numerous references using the word, I reckon so. <laughs> Not only was he a Hebrew, but he was what? He was of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the most elite tribes, and he was a not only a Hebrew but what? A Hebrew of a Hebrew. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Okay. I'm not just an ordinary Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. That generally meant that he spoke Hebrew fluently. Yeah. And at that time, the common language was Aramaic. Yeah. And the pri Pharisees prided themselves in uh, their knowledge of the, of the Scripture. Sadducees, no, not so much. Uh, they missed a lot. But the Pharisees, uh, we use the word, uh, you know, don't be a Pharisee today. We understand that they were steeped in uh, legalism. And they were considered the religious authorities yeah. of their time. So he wasn't just a Pharisee. He was what? A Pharisee of Pharisees. And last week we looked at that Roman, uh, 1 Timothy 6 passage. Uh, God dwells in unapproachable light and says the only God, uh, uh, King of kings and Lord of lords. See the double King of kings, Lord of lords. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, which means that he was a pretty outstanding, pretty outstanding guy, that he probably lived a, a privileged life, that he stood head and shoulders above his fellow countrymen. And uh, he even goes so far that when he talks about his former life when he wasn't a Christian uh, to say concerning the strict demands of the Jewish law, I was faultless. Uh, Philippians 3 verse 6. Are you saying he gave those up? He humbled himself like Jesus. And became obedient to a life of suffering and the things that he counted but he didn't gain. Say, he, he didn't say, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he didn't say, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He said, I am. Um, kept, I believe he kept his, all his teachings and followed Torah. Yeah, I, I think you're right there, and that he was zealous for... I think he did to an extent, but when it got to like circumcision, he said that I wish they'd circumcise himself and cut it all off. Yeah, all right, in Galatians. Yeah, I think he's doing this for a reason, and we'll get to this. Um, it almost, you look at the life of Paul and his uh, autobiographical information and it almost sounds like he's bragging that he considers himself among the elite but he doesn't when he's writing it he's writing it for another reason okay he's not bragging about oh I did all this I was accomplished all this I was head and shoulders above everyone else oh. you go on to say I hold it all for not yeah yeah <clears throat> Um, Eddie, I'm glad you're here because <laughs> I want to talk about uh, a musical, okay? <laughs> One you love. I think you should go home and watch this with your sweetie. Oh, no, you're yeah. going to break out singing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that, but <laughs> the musical uh, 
Camelot came out in the 60s. Okay, it was one of Sharon's favorite uh, shows. And you know, it starts out with Richard and uh, he's in the forest or uh, Camelot's off in the distance. He sings a song about the beauty and wonder and splendor of Camelot. Describes it almost like Eden. And then into his life walks the woman uh, Guinevere, and there he falls in love with her. And you know, if you've seen the movie, he they get married, and it's so. And they're sort of in this idyllic environment of Camelot. And it, and I thought it's you know it kind of parallels. Uh, I should have seen it before. It kind of parallels our study of uh, the Garden of Eden, perfect place, man and woman, until sin enters it. So uh, Richard gets the idea of uniting all the uh, armies of, of Europe and he calls uh, for Sir Lancelot to come from France. And so he, and so that the scene, next scene is Lancelot, he starts singing this song, Eddie, starts singing this, uh, you know, and it really makes a point. He says, Camelot, Camelot. And far off France, I heard your call, Camelot, Camelot, and here I am to give my all. Isn't that better? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know in my soul what you expect of me, and all that and more I shall be. A knight of the round table should be invincible, succeed where a less fantastic man would fail. Climb a wall, no one else can climb. Cleave a dragon in record time. Swim a moat in a coat of heavy iron mail. Uh, no matter the pain, he ought to be invincible. Impossible deeds should be his daily fare. But where in the world is there in the world a man so extraordinary? C'est moi. <laughs> Which means, I'm not, I don't speak French, but... Uh, it's me. It's me. Tis me, okay, Samoa, Samoa. I'm forced to admit, tis I, humbly I reply, that mortal who these marvels can do, Samoa, Samoa, tis I. I've never lost in battle or game, I'm simply the best by far, when swords are crossed, tis always the same, one blow and avoir. Says, uh, says moi, uh, Samoa. So admittedly fit, a French uh, Prometheus, unbound, and here I stand with valor untold, exceptionally brave, amazingly bold, to serve the round table. Yeah. The soul of a knight should be a thing remarkable, his heart and his mind as pure as morning dew, with a will and self-restraint. That's the envy of every saint. He could easily work a miracle or two. To love and desire, he ought to be unsparkable. The ways of the flesh should offer him no allure. But where in the world is there in the world a man so untouchable and pure? Samoa. Samoa. I blush to disclose. I'm far too noble to lie. That man in whom these qualities bloom? Samoa. Samoa. Tis I. I've never strayed from all I believe. I'm blessed with an iron will. Had I been with, made a partner with Eve, 
we'd still be in Eden, we'd be in Eden still. <laughs> so so somehow the angels have chose to fight their battles below, and here I stand as pure as the prayer as a prayer, incredibly clean with virtues to spare, the godliest man I know. Samoa. <laughs> what happened in the story, do you know? He falls from his lofty place. He's humbled. Uh, Camelot is ruined. And that's sort of the history of the world, right? Uh, I thought, uh, we know, as Satan, uh, we're going to talk about him in a future lesson, but uh, in the book of Ezekiel, he was he was exalted above the cherubim in heaven. Uh, perfect. Uh, one in perfection. If, uh, the text uses that word. He was... He dwelt in perfection, and he saw himself that way. Okay, so uh, here's Paul. Now I'm saying he's like, you know, Samoa. Oh, by the way, you guys, you really want to impress your wife, you know, just hug her close and say, uh, "Where in the world would you find somebody that could love you with all the love you desire?" She might tell you. <laughs> <laughs> She might say, I was wondering that myself. <laughs> but you say, Samoa. You know, whisper in your What? Samoa? Tis I. Okay, that'll really get some points for us. So I want to read to you. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to read this because it goes quicker. Um, Philippians 3. 2 through 17. Uh, actually, I'm going to start down a little further. And I'm going to read it in the Message Bible, the uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrase of, of Scripture. And I like it, actually. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't like paraphrases, but uh, Eddie, you paraphrase every week. You read the Scripture, and then you say, here's what he's saying, here's what it means. And so uh, Eugene Peterson does that with his text. And here's what he wrote. Um, paraphrasing Philippians 3, 2 through 17. Even though we can list, even though we or I can list what many might think are impressive credentials. You know my pedigree, a legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherent to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting Christians, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book. But, and here's where he tells us why he's saying this, not to brag, the very credentials these people are waving around as something special, like I've been doing. I'm tearing up and throwing it in the trash. Along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ, he says. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Jesus Christ as my master. Uh, firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant dog dung. King James uses the word dung. I count them but dung. 
I've dumped it all in the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't know, uh, want some uh, petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules that I achieved. What I could get, when I could get the robust kind of righteousness that comes from trusting God, God's righteousness and imputed righteousness. I gave up all that inferior stuff so that I could know Christ personally experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his sufferings, notice the word suffering, I'm embracing suffering, and go all the way with him to even death itself. If there is any other, any way to get into the resurrection from the dead, I want to do it. Uh, and, you know, just as zealous as he was for the law and for uh persecuting these blasphemers, even to go so far as Damascus and arrest Christians and bring them bound and compel them to blaspheme and uh, give assent to the uh, pronouncement of death. Uh, you remember the story of Stephen in Acts 7. <coughs> they all laid there as they were stoning Stephen to death for saying, uh, uh, confessing his faith in Jesus. They laid their coat, their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. Okay. Uh, he, he was just as zealous for Christ. And, um, you know, you think, how did uh, people react to uh, Paul's conversion, by the way? Starting with Ananias. <laughs> yeah. We've heard about this man. We've heard how he's persecuted the church, how what great harm he has and in one of Paul's autobiographical things he says I breathe out threatenings and slaughter against the Lord's uh, saints it's the idea like a mad dog you just see his fangs and you know uh, saliva dripping from him I, like a mad dog I I, I pursued and um, persecuted uh, the church Later on, he said, I did it all in ignorance and unbelief until he saw the light. Okay, so let's look at uh, Acts chapter uh, 9, one of the uh, accounts of his conversion. The man who saw the light. Someone want to read, uh, let's see, down to, uh, let's Read through verse 10, uh, 1 through 10, someone. This is out of the NIV. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that, he, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, he saw ask. I am Jesus, and you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but, he, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. 
In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a, minute, in a vision, Ananias. Go ahead. Um. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Okay, okay. What an awesome story this is. Um, I hadn't thought about it until you were just now reading it. He had two visions, maybe more. Uh, one on the road and one while he was praying. He saw in a vision Ananias coming to him. Uh, and he's blind, blinded by the light. And we talked about that last week, the unapproachable, brilliant light of God's glory. And Moses had to put a veil over his face. It so frightened the, the people. And uh, a light that no man is has seen or can see it would be a blinding light and so all of a sudden this light flashes around Saul and he falls to his knees uh, and he knows that this Jesus that he's persecute, been persecuting these Christians that he's been putting to death are uh, that Jesus is the Messiah and these are his followers and he's about to become one of them okay uh, this is, um, I was thinking of, remember the story of the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and he says, uh, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, you know the commandments, you know, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, uh, and so forth. What was his answer? I've done them all since my youth. It almost sounds like Paul. You know, as for the law, faultless. I wonder if the young man could have been Saul. Probably not. But he sure, you know, the parallels are pretty pretty amazing. And Jesus, what did then Jesus say to him? Yeah, you're lacking something. Me? Lacking something? Samoa? I? <laughs> Go and sell all you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me follow you foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head and you want me to follow you to give up all that i have and what what did he do yeah he, he turned and walked away turned and walked away and you know i'm thinking of the parallels here and and paul was you know we read his uh, description of himself. Well, later he writes the book of Romans, another autobiographical section. He says, I would not have known what sin was, at, at least in my life, I'm paraphrasing it, <laughs> except that law said, and he said, I wouldn't know what covetousness was, except it was what it, what yeah. it was explained in the law. I wouldn't have known what sin was except the law said, thou shalt not covet. 
What commandment is that one? Ten. The tenth one. You know, it's kind of like studying a book like Isaiah, and you, you know, you got a quarter to study it, and you you have to get down to the last uh, eight or ten chapters, and oh, we'll just have to move on. We'll just have to skip that. Well, uh, number twelve was the one that got him square in the, you know, in the eyes. Uh, covetousness. And like that young ruler, the rich young ruler, he he kept all the laws, he kept all the rules, just like Paul, except covetousness, covetousness. And it's one of the uh, works of the flesh that John talks about, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, okay? And now he takes all this pride, he's about to take all this pride and do what with it? Dump it in the trash. Many times, Doesn't mean anything. Many times what we consider to be a strength is really one of our greatest weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah, because it's it like uh, Lancelot. Not me, I won't fall, and yet he falls, uh, falls terribly. I was uh, reading in Daniel this last week, and I was came across the passage I guess I hadn't seen it before. I don't know if you ever do that. You, uh, you've been reading the Bible all your life. You come across something you haven't seen before. Um, uh, let's see, where is it? I wrote it down somewhere. Um, uh, Daniel chapter 10, uh, Daniel sees this vision uh, it greatly distresses him. Um, verse 4, it says, On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold round his waist. His body was like uh, chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flame, flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleaming of burnished bronze and his face like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but were overtaken or overwhelmed with terror and fled and hid themselves. It almost sounds like uh, Acts, doesn't it, where uh, Paul sees his vision. The men with him don't see it, but they heard something, and they were astonished by it. Same thing here in, in, in Daniel. Uh, and he goes on to talk about uh, he fell on his face, he could hardly breathe, uh, his strength was gone. And again, the one who looked like a man touched me, he gave me strength, and he said, do not be afraid. Where have we heard that before? Here's one of these uh, visions of God's glory and the words, do not be afraid. Same thing on the... Uh, um, on the uh, Mount of Transfiguration uh, and so many other passages. When Jesus appears in glory after his resurrection, they're all astonished. And what does he say? First thing he says, do not be afraid. Okay. Uh, God doesn't want us to be afraid. Of, uh, but I think I would be. I think I'd be falling on my face like John did and the disciples did and uh, Daniel does. Now, Paul has this privileged life. 
What does a privilege uh, accomplishment like he had bring with it? What accompanies the accomplishments that he had in his life? A lot of doors are open for you to have your clothes Yeah. Lots of stature. Yeah. To much is given, much is demanded. Yeah. And he, had, he, he got these letters from the high priest. He was given authority. He was, um, you know, he was bound for um, great success in his life. And did God give him that? God did give him great success in his life. But what did uh, God tell Ananias? He's a chosen vessel for me. And interestingly, in another place, uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I was chosen from my mother's womb. Mm-hmm. Like Jeremiah, you know, I knew you from while you were in your mother's womb. Um, and, and all this education and his background, his experience was doing what? Preparing him for success. But not the kind of success that the world looks at or we look at as uh, success. It was preparing him to bring God the name, bring the word of the gospel to the nations, to the Jews and to the Gentile nations. And what else did uh, God tell Ananias about this man? He's a chosen vessel, and I will what? I will show him something. How to suffer. What was it, Rich? How to suffer. I will show him how much he must suffer. Well, that's not what I signed up for. Suffering? <laughs> signed up for success. Have it all. Live in a big house. Have a lot of money. Drive a nice car. I signed up for that, not suffering. I'll show you, show him how much he must suffer. Did Paul suffer? <laughs> yeah, you're ahead of me. Yeah, the passage is uh, chapter 11. Uh, mine, uh, the NIV uh, titles it, Paul boasts about his sufferings. Well, he boasts about his uh, worldly accomplishment. Now he boasts about his sufferings. Is he boasting or just... Stating. Yeah, he's just stating it, and the, he says, you Corinthians push me to it. He says, but I'm talking like a fool. And um, where is it? Um, you may... He's comparing himself to the people that were saying he wasn't anything. Yeah. His credentials now are not his pedigree, his Pharisee, his Hebrew, his great education and great wealth. His pedigree, his credentials are his suffering. And look what he says here. Uh, Where is it here? Uh, Let's see, verse 21. Um, What anyone dares to boast about, I, I am speaking like a fool, he says. I also could boast. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I must be out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. 
I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That's interesting. 40 lashes five times. Mathematicians, how many is that? 195. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Minus one. What is, why did they, why does he say that? They always put the hedge around so they wouldn't exceed the law. So they said you had to do 39 so you wouldn't mistakenly calculate. Yeah, I counted wrong. Like, oh, you got 41. So I broke the law. So they stopped at 39. Almost 200 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Uh, there's evidence in Scripture that uh, he was, I don't know what stoning would do to somebody. I know what it did to Stephen. Uh, that he prob that he might have died, that he might have had a out of body experience. Okay, we'll come to it in the next chapter here. Um, I was beaten. I was stoned. Uh, I was shipwrecked three times. I spent a night and a day in the open sea, drifting and floating in the out in the ocean. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen. I've lived a life of danger. He said, in danger from the Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the country, in dangers at sea, in dangers from false brothers. I have labored and toiled. I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? <clears throat> if I must boast, I will. <laughs> I'll boast in my suffering. Yes, Richard. And after he has experienced all that, that he can say, now I can do all this. Yeah, yeah. In the next chapter, uh, chapter 12, it's titled, uh, Paul's Vision is Thorn, his Thorn in the Flesh. <laughs> okay, um, so I said this man, well, we got just two minutes here, uh, went into the light twice, okay? First one on Damascus Road, chapter 12 is what I think is the second one. He says, uh, let's see, verse 2, 12. I know a man in Christ 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. I wonder if it you know, took four years for this to come out from Paul to tell the story. He just kept it inside, okay? This man was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. I know this I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. And he heard inexpressible things, which are things that man is not permitted to tell. One version suggests it was things that were impossible to tell. But he put it in words, what he saw. Uh, it's in, it's a... Uh, not permitted to tell, and I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself. So is he talking about someone else? Who is this man in Christ? 
It's himself. Uh, verse 7 says, To keep me from boasting and becoming conceited about these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. I'm that man. Have you ever heard this expression, an out-of-body experience? A lot of you know, just type that in a Google search, and you'll you'll hundreds of them will come up. People claiming to have out of body experiences, dying and then being resuscitated. Well, we're out of time, but uh, here's Paul's second uh, experience of stepping into the light. Um, his credentials were his suffering, and to keep him from boasting about it all, boasting about this. Uh, surpassing awesome experience that he had he was uh, given a thorn in the flesh uh, there's a lot of debate about what that thorn in the flesh was um, some people believe it was a wife <laughs> <laughs> he got married yeah <laughs> I've always I've kind of speculated it might have been uh, his vision yeah yeah because yeah. there's a at the end of the book of Galatians, he says, you see with what, what, with what large letters I have written in my own hand. So he probably dictated the book of Galatians. Some, someone wrote it down as he spoke it, and then he signed his own name in large letters because <laughs> he had a hard time seeing. And, and that's probably why he dictated several of his uh, epistles, or had his epistles dictated. Okay, So he had a thorn in the flesh, and it left him feeling weak but when he was weak what did what did you say richard it was it made him strong okay made him strong because it was christ in him not paul at work so i this is just an awesome story of seeing the unseen of walking into the light of seeing the glory of god which god has promised to all of us and what are his promises Every one of them? Yes. Yes. And so we say to all those promises, Amen. 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 Okay. Thank you. We'll pick up here next week. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.